Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. So I mentioned it in the opening segment. I was watching the Spiders against UMass last night. The game took place here in Henrico at the Robbins Center as UMass came to town and got a huge win uh, really big win there for the Minutemen. Uh, and great for uh, second-year coach Frank Martin getting that win as they're going to compete for a top-four spot here. And that really uh, puts an emphasis on the VCU matchup against UMass next Tuesday. But the Rams have to take care of business on the road against St. Louis tomorrow night. You can hear that game right here on 910 The Fan. But the James Madison Dukes are... Up to third place in the Sun Belt. Winners of four straight, 22-3 and three on the season. And joining us right now on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, play-by-play voice of the James Madison Dukes, Dave Rigert. What's going on, Dave? Hey, Wad, bud. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. So let me, let me start with this. Do, do you think that the early season success that JMU had, you know, the win against Michigan State, close win against Radford, and some of those out-of-conference games has helped them kind of rebound after you know the two losses to Appalachian State? Yeah, I think that that's part of it. I think the biggest part of it is this is just a veteran team. And in college basketball, again, it's changed a little bit the last few years, but this is a team that will honor seven seniors on Saturday during Senior Day. So they've got a veteran team. that has, They've played a lot of basketball. Um, it's a pretty connected team. So I think that they just – a lot of the guys have talked about, we just want to win. Uh, they've been in college for a while. They've scored points. They've got rebounds. They've had assists. They've done what they needed to do statistically. And now they just want to win, do whatever it takes to win. You see that from a guy like Noah Friedel, who's averaging the most rebounds he's ever averaged in his career, um, the most assists he's ever averaged in his career. So I think it's just a really connected team that is very mature and if they do have a loss, which obviously they've only had three this year, that they're able to rebound and kind of figure out what went wrong. They've, they've become a much better defensive team as the season has worn on. Um, so I think that's the big part. I think the early success gave them confidence for this season, but now they're veterans, and they're kind of handling some adversity right now pretty well. And guard Terrence Edwards Jr. is a bucket, 16.6 points per game. You know, How would you kind of describe his style of play? <laughs> frantic and sometimes out of control <laughs> but but that's okay that's him um they call him fat that's his nickname and fat's just a guy he's come so far um his freshman year which this is his fourth year now he's a redshirt junior they're going to honor him on on saturday hopefully he'll come back for one more season of that covid year but he's a guy that um, is a little awkward he's a little he's not the most athletic kid on on the floor but he can kind of contort his body. He'll spin. He'll get kind of awkward shots off. But he makes a lot of them. And when he came in as a freshman, he shot 47% from the free throw line. Now he's an 80% free throw shooter. And he shot over 40% from three a year ago. He's at about 35 right now. So he's improved his game a ton. He's gotten the gym. Um, he's a leader. This is his basketball team now. And you wouldn't have said that a few years ago. He was he kind of has matured into that role and matured into his game. He's still a little frantic and out of control, and his body language probably could improve at times, but it has. And uh, he's he's an, he's just a, a tough player to defend because of all the, the different things that he can do. And look, this is an offense that can get up and down the court and score four guys basically averaging double figures, uh, scoring almost 85 points per game, 14th there uh, in the nation. Really good offense for the Dukes, winners of four in a row. Uh, so, you know, when you see this offense, you know, up close and personal, uh, you know, give me some thoughts here on, on why you think it's been so impressive this season. I think it's their unselfishness. They average over 17 assists per game, and in college basketball, that's a lot. There's some teams averaging 10, 11 assists per game. They average 17 per game. They've had a game this year where they've had 27 assists in a game, 23 assists, but they're averaging over 17, and that's the most in a long time in JMU history. It's been a long time since they've had, um, I think, the trust to share the basketball. The three games they've lost, ironically, they've had 12 assists or less. So they haven't shared the ball as well. When they're sharing the ball, they're getting better shots, better looks, easier baskets. They're getting out and running in transition. That's a big strength of theirs, and that's why they score. Um, again, they're one of the fastest tempo teams in the country. When they got in transition, 
Um, they're really, really dangerous. But they've shared the ball so well. They're not a great shooting team. They're okay. But when they get when they share the ball and, and can get better looks than, than maybe a, a decent they, they get a great look as opposed to a good look, um, they're making more of those. So they just share the ball. They're a very, very unselfish basketball team. Dave, who is the unsung hero on this team? Which student athlete do you think hasn't been shown enough love? I think it's probably Noah Friedel. Yeah. Um, he's a guy that came in last year, and I, I, I spoke about him earlier, but he came in last year from South Dakota State and had some pretty gaudy numbers. I mean, he was he was over a 40% three-point shooter, um, averaged over 20 points per game during one season at South Dakota State, and then things just didn't work out there. And when he came to JMU, a lot of people thought he was just a shooter. He's a three-point shooter. That's what he does. Well, Coach Byington says he's the toughest guy on that team. He's averaging over five rebounds per game, over six in league games. He had a stretch where he had six consecutive double-figure games, and he can still shoot the basketball almost 40% from three. So he's the guy that's doing a little bit of everything right now. He's rebounding. He's, again, he's got the most assists he's ever had in a season already. Um, he's, he's probably their top defender and their toughest guy. So he's probably the unsung hero. Um, he's starting to get a little bit more praise because he's starting to score the ball a little bit better, but they don't take him off the floor very often. In, in the last six games, he averaged 35 minutes per game because of how valuable he is. And one of those games, he was one for eight and had three points but they didn't want to take him off the floor because of everything that he's doing. Dave, what's the biggest trend that you've noticed during this four, current four-game win streak? Defense. Um, their, their defense has improved so much. They're holding opponents to 60 or less most of the time. Um, some will sneak into the 70s, but their defense has improved, and that's one area of, that was a little bit of a concern going into the season is if they had enough guys that could, could buy into what they want to do defensively. They've improved so much on the defensive side that they've got about three guys in their eight-man rotation that don't score the ball a ton, but they're really good defenders, and they can they can cause a lot of havoc on the perimeter. A guy like Raekwon Horton is another guy that kind of is an unsung hero for them coming off the bench where he can just disrupt a game with his defense, his rebounding, whatever he can do. So I think defenses, they've made so much progress. They could always score the ball early in the season. They didn't defend as well as they're defending right now, and I think that's the biggest key in kind of, the, kind of what this team has figured out as they've gone along. Dave Brigger, radio voice of the James Madison Dukes football and basketball here with us on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. How have the crowds been at home? I believe you got two straight home games coming up. We do. Two more to wrap up the regular season, which is hard to believe. They'll have the last four games on the road. But they are second in the Sun Belt in attendance next to ODU, averaging um, over 5,000 per. And, again, that's been increasing with, with their success. And, again, the 22 wins that they have right now, that ties the school record for regular season wins with the 81-82 team that lost to Worthy and Jordan and Perkins in the NCAA tournament in the second round and won 24 games that year. But this, this, the, the crowds, they've been phenomenal. They've almost been sellouts the last three or four games. They've had over 6,000 mm. for, I think, seven consecutive games. So they're jumping on board. And I mentioned this after the game on Saturday when they uh, took down a very good Akron team. That this, they're doing something special. They're 22-3. and three. The most wins ever in a season is 24. And the Dukes have six regular season games left, plus the Sun Belt Tournament, hopefully more than that. This team is doing something special, and people need to pay attention. Where's the Sun Belt Tournament? It is in Pensacola, Florida. Ah, hey Dave. So we always appreciate you having the sh uh, having uh, the time to join the show here. Why don't you set the scene for tonight and give us a preview: the Georgia State Panthers at the JMU Dukes. Uh, Georgia State's a team that's a much different team than they were a year ago. They were last in the Sun Belt last year. They won three games, and that's it in the Sun Belt. They were 3-15. and 15. Um, Jonas Hayes is a former Georgia Bulldog. Um, he and his brother are on that staff. They were both former Georgia Bulldog players, uh, very good in their day. But they're trying to turn this program around. They've had some, some tradition, some history, um, but they were really bad a year ago. They transformed the roster, only four guys back from last year. And it's a team that had just lost six in a row but then they went to Louisiana, who had won six in a row and won that game. So it's a very capable team. They're five and seven in league play. It's a dangerous team um, with a couple of really good wings that they've got. Not a ton of big guys, but they've got some very good wing players, and it's a much different team than they were a year ago. So it's a dangerous team that, that can beat anybody. Um, but I think the Dukes will be in pretty good shape tonight. It's the first time they see them, then they'll play them again next week in Atlanta. Dave, always appreciate the time. Thanks so much.
Thanks, bud. I appreciate you. Yep, that is Dave Riggert. Follow him on social media at Dave Riggert. And check him out tonight, the radio voice of the James Madison Dukes. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM. Phone lines are open, 833-804-0910. That's 833-804-0910. Hey, I'm Sean Besto. We appreciate your support and go Rams. Welcome back to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, broadcasting live from the Basketball Development Center here at VCU with special guest Sean Barstow. What's going on, Sean? Not much. Just got done with practice. Just, yeah. yeah. I've been calling you the Bear. Do you <laughs> like that nickname? Yeah, it's kind of a family name. My, my older brothers were called uh, the Bear growing up and then since I've been in college, started to get onto me a little bit. Okay, and then you've got the Hulu show, The Bear, so I've been saying, yes, chef, thank you, chef. <laughs> I, I haven't seen that show, <laughs> but I m- might have to. Well, that's all right, man. Well, we love you uh, taking the time to join us here on 910 The Fan. What would you say has been your favorite part of living in Richmond and being a student athlete for VCU? Uh, I would say favorite part about living in Richmond has just been um, the food, uh, just a, lo- a lot more access to, to different foods since we're in a um, a bigger city where we're in Logan, Utah, just wasn't many food spots. Um, really a small town of 70,000 people, so living in a bigger city, definitely have a lot more uh, variety, so I've joined that and enjoyed that a little bit. Um, and then basketball is just um, being at a place that has great facilities, great history, and uh, fans that really care. Have you picked a favorite food place? Um, probably Nate's Bagels. Oh, really? Yeah. See, somebody told me I needed to ask you about that because you've been spotted there before. <laughs> yeah, not surprised. <laughs> I love a good bagel. It gets me started. Uh, love hitting up Nate's Bagels on the weekend. So how are you feeling, man? You've been beat up a little bit this season, the foot and then the rib injury. How are you feeling right now? Um, yeah, still feeling a bit beaten up, but we're definitely getting better. Um, hopefully just hit the stride by the end of the year and, and finish strong. What's it been like to step into a leadership role here in your first season at VCU, named one of the three captains? Yeah, I mean, it's been fun. Um, you look at the, the history of captains at VCU, and it's a, um, yeah, it's, a, it's a great group to be a part of. You know, I've been a, a captain at Utah State so um, with Coach Odom as well, so bringing that same leadership that I was doing. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's been fun. Can you give me a little bit of insight, information about what it was like to transfer from Utah State to VCU and your relationship with Max? I mean, did you guys know you were both coming here? What was that like? Yeah, we were definitely getting recruited together. Um, we, I, I, I committed first, um, and then, and then Max, kind of shortly after, followed suit. Um, but, but we, we were obviously talking um, the whole process. We're roommates, you know. We do everything together, so uh, we're, we're really. Um, happy to play with each other again, and you know we're excited to do it together. What's he like as a roommate? Um, he's quiet unless you really know him. Um, good guy, easy on, good flow. Yeah, down to do whatever. Just yeah. Who's good the guy. Who's the messier guy? Probably him. <laughs> Does it piss you off at all? Nah, I, I I can clean up after one as long as it's not too many. <laughs> do you remember the first interaction or the first meeting you had with Max? Yeah, I do actually. Um, we went and played uh, pickup basketball at a at a church, and we really played played really well together from the start. So um, that that was in his first day getting to Utah, and then yeah, just went from there. Kind of been brothers, friends ever since then. Yeah. So how difficult was your decision to transfer to VCU with Coach Odom? Um, I feel like it. Like I, I always would have ended up going where where coach went I definitely did explore my other options just to see what out what, what else was out there um but just the, the family vibe and and just knowing him that long it just was ended up being an easy decision so it was all about the relationship that you had with Odom yeah I would say so it, it helps that you come to a school like this as well obviously and I think you've been terrific on fast break some people really take surprise by your leaping ability what's going through your mind when you're running the fast break there um just try to make the right decision um, I, I don't think I can jump very high right now. My body's not allowing me to, <laughs> but ho- hopefully we'll get a, a couple more highlight plays by the end of the year. And, and I think you talked about in a post-game press conference, like you, you went on a growth spurt as a kid. Right. Uh, can give me a little bit more information about how that kind of shaped the player that you are today. Yeah, I was really um little point guard, just <laughs> hit hit puberty pretty late, so everyone <laughs> else was, was a lot bigger than me. 
Um, and then it was really when I was I was 15 years old, I, I grew five inches that year and then another two or three the year after and then kind of just became a wing and that handled and, and did a bit more. Um, but, yeah. Joined by Sean Barstow here on AWOD Radio, the home of VCU Basketball, who will hit the road for a matchup at St. Louis on Friday night. You can hear that right here on 910 The Fan. And, you know, I want to know a little bit more about the team meeting that went down following the GW game because the defensive effort has been night and day since then. Yeah, I feel like we're just a a way more connected team, Um, and that just allows you to talk to each other differently, allows you to hold each other accountable and, and just be be together in everything you do. So um, yeah, that, that's that's really it. Just just all having one goal in mind, being connected, and and going for that goal, and just doing whatever it takes to achieve it. And Coach Odom seems to be able to challenge you guys to meet your own standards. I mean, what's it like when when he's kind of explained to you guys that you can be at this level, but you're playing below your standards? Yeah, I mean, we we all agree with Coach in that sense. We know um, we're really talented and have a lot of really good players. Um, so, so when when coaches is telling us these things, we we believe it. We know it's the truth. Sean, in your words, what do you think makes Max Scholga so tough to defend? Um, just so so free and careless in the best way possible. <laughs> You're a captain alongside Max and Zeb. How would you define your role as the captain on the team this year? Um, we, we got we got a lot of a lot of captains. Honestly, um, we have a saying where it's like got three captains but you got 13 leaders so uh, I think I think that's a big part everyone kind of does their job you know you might do a little bit more here and there in terms of speeches and stuff but um, it's a you know it's, it's a group thing it's not just one or two people three people that do it it's just a um, yeah, it's family you like the role of being a guy that that comes up with a speech to motivate people uh, I, I don't really like like th- pre-think or premeditate speeches or anything I just I feel like I'm a natural natural leader and I'm um, kind of always been like that so just be myself and yeah it seems to work Sean team rebounding it's been huge as of late I mean what was the emphasis emphasis like that in practice to make sure that you guys could rebound as a team yeah we um we had a couple of where we were just getting um, given up a lot of offensive rebounds so we we brought out the pads and um the, the big shout out to Seamus he was running into us full speed with the pads and everyone had to to box him out so uh, just more of an emphasis on it Sean Barstow here with us on AWOD Radio 910 The Fan now at 105.1 FM where you can hear every VCU game and I'm always looking at the box score breakdown and one thing that's stuck out to me a lot this season has been bench points right the Rams have dominated the opposing team's bench how great is that as a starter that you can come to the bench and you know watch the lead increase yeah I mean it's it's a uh, special thing that not a lot of teams have um, like I said we we believe we're the most talented team in in the A10 and one of the most talented teams in the country. So um, ha- having those those spark guys off the bench that come in and play hard and play confident and um, aren't mad about coming off the bench either. So that's a um, big key to the team. Yeah, and the team's really playing well, hitting their strides, coming off of a big win at home against Dayton. Looking back, though, when you think about the international trip, how do you think that's helped this team come together? Yeah, it's just a lot of team bonding along the way, um, just visiting different places, spending a lot of time together. Um, I, I think I think that's really helped, especially in a, a year where you have an entirely new coach um, and new staff, new players. Um, it's just a, a whole turnaround. So, um, it, it, yeah, it's helped a lot. And what I think is interesting about this team is you've had, I believe, nine different leading scorers in games this season. I mean, it just speaks about the depth on this team and their ability to have any different guys step up. How does that help you guys with the mental side of the game, knowing, hey, if I'm having an off night, somebody else is there for us? Yeah, I feel like you just know that's not um it's not all on you, you know. If if you're not not playing your best, like you can kind of fill into a fill into a role on the team and just do whatever it takes to to help the team win and um and you know, there the, there's going to be a couple of people that'll be there night and then um yeah, so on and so on. Sean, you've got an interesting role on this team where you can play power forward, you can be the point forward also. Are there any strengths to your game that you think we haven't seen yet? Um, yeah, I think I can definitely shoot the ball a lot better. You know, I shot near 40% last year, and I'm in the teens this year. So uh, I think that has something to do with just being in rhythm and stuff. But I feel like when a couple fall, then the floodgates will open. 
yeah, you feel like it's it's coming later in the season. Yeah. I love to hear that. Hey, I'm Sean Bastow. This is VCU Basketball, and you're listening to 910 Welcome back to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, broadcasting live from the Basketball Development Center here at VCU with special guest Sean Barstow. Have you guys made a, a conscious effort to prioritize the effort on the defensive end? Yeah, I, th- I think we just um, we, we know we can win games with our defense and, and offense will kind of take care of itself, you know, um, winning... 49-47 against Day, and, you know, we obviously want to score more points, but holding a team like that to 47 is pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, so, you, you know, we, we know we, we can do more of the offensive on the offensive end. Um, so really really taking care of things on the defensive end and, and just relying on our talent on the offensive end and the play calls that coach is calling. I want to give some love to the big men, Toby Lawal, Christian Furman. I feel like they've been terrific this season. Christian Furman, how do you think he's grown this season? feels like he's gaining confidence offensively every game. Yeah, so obviously he wasn't here last year, but um, from what I've heard, he's just a completely different player. Um, has, a, has a lot to his game now and, and, and plays hard every night. You can definitely definitely rely on him on both ends, and um, you know he, he listens as well, so he's only going to get better. We got Sean Barristow, captain for VC basketball, hanging out with us here on 910 The Fan. So you're very familiar with Ryan Odom's system. Why do you think it suits you so well? I, I think it's just that, like you said, I can I can play one through four, um, and and I know I know a lot of the different positions, and and you know that that's big in his offense. He he wants everyone to kind of know multiple positions and stuff like that, and push the break one through four, and everyone one through four kind of um, do a bit of everything. So. Uh, I, I felt like when he he got to Utah State, my game kind of uh, expanded a lot, and um, yeah, I just I've l- loved playing for him ever since. So, give us a little more details about you know what your favorite part about his offensive schemes are. Um, I would just say that that like you can you can slot people into certain positions, knowing that like the the defense is going to do this on this certain play, and um, like we we put. Um, like, like, say uh, we we know they're going to switch a switch a screen on this, so we'll put me there. So then I'm I'm rolling into the post or something, and on a, on a little guard, it's just like um, plugging people into different spots, for, uh, like based off their their strengths and stuff. Yeah, absolutely, and really, I mean, I, I think you're at your best when you're at the post. And what I think is so impressive is when you're backing guys down, you keep your dribble alive. I mean, that's just got to be so tough. I see the way you kind of switch hands when you're doing that. Explain to us how that kind of sets you up to be a scorer, an assister, or all, anything around the basket there. Yeah, just trying to get um, deeper and deeper and into the paint until um, someone someone either helps or if they don't help, then I have it for myself. But as soon as they help, just try to try make the right read and uh, get it to the open guy. How do you explain you know, the mixture of this group here to people? I mean, you've got the international some of the holdovers from last season, and you guys have come together to be a really tight knit group. Yeah, I think it's just, um, I think it's just basketball. You know, it's just that that's it. How it's always been for me in in college basketball, just a bunch of people coming from different places all to, all together to um, play on one team together and have one one goal in mind. Joe Bamisil had a great line to Robbie after one of the games where he was talking about how much depth is on this team. You know, he say he said Zeb's the fastest guy with the ball. Uh, Max Scholga is one of the best shooters, and he just went through all the different guys on the team here. You know, give me your thoughts on, on a few of the guys. Like if I throw out Joe Bamisil, how would you describe him? Um, just wide to score. Yeah, Toby Lawal, athletic freak. <laughs> that's that's such a great answer right there, Sean Barristow. Uh, just versatile wing who uh, gets others involved. I love to hear that, man. And I thought it was really cool talking about your relationship with Max. And, you know, like I'm saying here, everybody's kind of fallen in love with you guys. I mentioned the press conference, the nickname 7-Eleven. You guys are, <laughs> are such a cool group here. But, you know, to team up with each other on the court, it does feel like you kind of balance each other out. You know, where you're so good in the paint, he's so good in the out on the outside. You can go off the dribble, he can spot up. Does it feel like you guys really can work together well on the court? Yeah, I feel like we've just played together for so long now. That's just um, pretty natural. You know, this is going on our fourth year. 
Um, so, you know, me, me and Max from day one in the church have had a lot of fun playing together, and we uh, still do. So, Last year at Utah State, you guys kind of peaked at the right time and got hot at the end of the season. Does it feel like that's starting to happen this year? Yeah, I think I, I think so. I think we're, um, we're still only scratching the surface of what we can do. Um, and, and that's kind of with, with Joe coming back and me coming back and just the lineups adjusted and stuff like that. Um, but I, I think I think definitely over these next seven games, um, we'll, we'll really use them to prepare for the for March. What are a few things that you could point to that you think the team could improve on to reach full level of expectations that you guys have for the team? Well, I don't think we've really had a had a game where we're just killing it on on both ends. You know, like if we could like defend like we did against Dayton or some of the previous games, while also um, doing what we know we can do in offense, then we'll we'll be cooking. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It feels like this team is so close to putting together a full 40 minutes, and we're all waiting to see what that will look like here. So you mentioned Coach Odom being a big part of the reason you came to Utah State, so uh, from Utah State to VCU. So, you know, your relationship with him, how would you describe it to the fan base? Um, is it like a father figure? Is it like a friend? Is it like a coach? Or is it all of that? I I don't know. It, like it, it's it's a bit of it's a bit of everything. Um, you know, I, I can talk to him about anything, like a friend, like give advice, like a coach. You know, just um, it's a bit of everything. He's just a a regular dude to me. You know, I don't I don't have to see him as um, as coach where you have to be timid around him. He's just um, a guy that that calls the plays and and calls the shots, and we all respect and listen to him. What are some of your hobbies outside of basketball? Um. I really don't have many, honestly. <laughs> we we just uh, we just play basketball, then go home and uh, watch basketball. So that's really about it. Okay. Do you watch a lot of NBA, or you stick at the college level? I uh, a bit of both. Um, I prefer the playoffs for for NBA basketball, but college basketball I'm a big fan of, especially watching people that you know, ex teammates and whatnot. Yeah. You know, speaking of the NBA, I've always been a huge basketball fan, college and the NBA. And growing up, All-Star Weekend was my favorite thing. I told the story on air yesterday. I used to run around my basement and pretend I was doing the dunk contest, the three-point contest with a Nerf hoop. It feels like it doesn't have the same juice. Are you excited for this weekend's All-Star festivities? I honestly didn't even know it was this weekend. <laughs> yeah. It's not the same, right? No, it's definitely not the same. Yeah. Do, do you remember like a certain three-point contest with Pazer Stoyakovic or a dunk contest that sticks out from your memories? Yeah, it was definitely the dunk contest that, that Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon won. Oh, but yeah. I think ever since then it's kind of died off. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Do you have any you know ideas to bring it back? More no. international guys. <laughs> no, I got no idea there. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about you know your upbringing. It was basketball your first sport that you fell in love with, or was there another sport? Uh, no, it was definitely basketball. Um, so I was the youngest of of seven kids, and and everyone else played. So um, from day one, it was really uh, like what I knew I wanted to do. I uh, definitely um, played other sports growing up, um, but basketball was what was always important to me. I never took any other one really that seriously what was it about basketball was it seeing the ball go in the hoop was it you know the team aspect of the sport or was it just everything i think it was a bit of everything mm -hmm. um for one i was good at it from an uh, from a young age so that's always always fun mm -hmm. um and then just you know m playing with my brothers growing up you know me and my brother danny were on the same team and mm -hmm. um mom was a coach so it was yeah, it was all set up for me to just play basketball. Your mom was the coach. Yeah, she um she's actually a pretty good coach. In, <laughs> I'm in not Australia. doubting her. She coached some 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 Australian teams and whatnot. Yeah, what was her best set? What was the best play she would call? Uh she just did like um, Bobby Knight dribble drive motion and stuff like that. Just let everyone play, but play the right way. Yeah. Did you ever get heated with her on the sidelines? Yeah, hundred percent. But <laughs> can never get too mad at mom. <laughs> I mean, what's that like when when you're upset with it, a call from the official or something, that, and your mom's the coach over there? Yeah, I mean, she she'd always have my back. So yeah, yeah, we we were two peas in a pod. Did you ever have anger issues growing up? Like I remember when I played, I I was I would throw a chair if I ever got missed, mad at a ref or anything like that. Um, I don't know about anger issues, but I, I just, I cared so much that I would get really upset. Like, right. I would be, you know, whatever, seven years old crying in the middle of the game. Because <laughs> it means so much to yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what would you tell, you know, seven-year-old Sean Barristow right now based off of the accomplishments that you had in your college basketball career? Um, 
don't worry, you're going to grow. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Could you see yourself coming back to Richmond in 10 years, hanging out? I mean, for sure. It just depends on the situation, who's here, and, you know, I'll, I'll definitely stop by some at some point. What was practice like today? Uh, it was good. Um, it was it was a high, high day, so uh, we, we got a lot done and kind of prepped for St. Louis a lot, and then tomorrow will be a a low day and then obviously the game the next day so that's kind of how it goes leading up to the game so it's like a high intensity day yeah it usually just goes high low high low to kind of keep keep everything fresh can you give me a little more details about what comes with a high intensity practice for ryan odom uh just a little bit longer um that's re- that's really it you just you know everything you're doing one hour you just expand into two and um just more sets more reps um, more more defense and really like guarding um, the scout team and stuff like that and and kind of like a game day. Do you have a favorite drill? So for me, like I always loved, you know, one on one, you only get three dribbles. Right. You know, do you have a favorite drill? Yeah, I mean, one on one's always fun, but you don't really do that too much in practice. Um, I would say favorite practice drill is just any time, any type of time we just get shots together. Favorite spot on the court to get the ball. Five seconds left. You're open. Where do you want it? Probably on the right block. Right block. Yeah, I like that. So is that because you you want to be able to spin and, and finish with your right hand, or why is that? Um, just get to the middle and yeah, get to my spot. Sean, appreciate you taking the time, man. Thanks a lot. What's it going to take for the Rams to get a win Friday? Just keep doing what we've been doing. Play hard and um, play both ends and stick together. Awesome, man. Best of luck this season. Thanks Appreciate so much. That. Thank you. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105, 1 FM. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105, 1 FM. You can always tweet us your thoughts throughout the show at AWOD Radio or at 910 The Fan. If it's a good tweet, we'll read it on air. And I do love that my timeline is filled with positive Wizards talk about Danny Avdia. And it's just so awesome. Uh, You know, the kid is growing up right in front of our eyes here. Just had a career night, 43 points. Uh, You know, he's starting to really develop a consistent three-point shot. The issue sometimes is he's much better driving to the right than driving left. We saw him drive left successfully last night. He's been good on the defensive end for the last two years. Getting more consistent on the offensive end has been the most important thing for him to improve on this season. So, very happy about the career night for Washington Wizards forward Denny Avdia last night. Joining us right now on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline Line from Richmond Biz Sense, Jonathan Spires. What's going on, Jonathan? Hey, Adam. Doing well. How are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty good here. So why don't you explain the, the latest to the audience here uh, about the, the Diamond District and the development of the new stadium for the Flying Squirrels? Sure. Happy to do it. Um, so our latest reporting was that, um, uh, obviously, as several steps need to be taken to continue to prep for the first phase of the Diamond District to start construction. The first phase would include the stadium. Um, the development team that the city is working with has um, apparently raised some additional capital uh, very um, uh, more recently and uh, specifically to help get that first phase going. Uh, apparently this capital was needed in addition to uh, other resources that had been uh, lined up up to this point and um, this uh, amount which which wasn't specified but apparently it was several millions of dollars that apparently was all raised locally here in Richmond by uh, Richmond-based investors uh, would be used specifically for purchasing the land for the first phase that would be about 22 acres at the south end of the 67 acre site where the new stadium would go as well as some additional mixed-use development that uh, would help support the new stadium through uh, increment tax uh, financing. And uh, some of the capital also would be spent, um, apparently the development team has a commitment through its development agreement with the city to purchase some of the initial bonds that would uh, help to finance the stadium as well as some uh, infrastructure for the overall development. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, getting the latest on the diamond development here from Richmond Biz Spence's 
Jonathan Spires, and of course, 910 The Fan is the home of the Richmond Flying Squirrels. And look, we all want this to get done, Jonathan. It, it feels like it's a race against time uh, with the MLB saying it needs to be built by 2025 and the city saying, oh, how about 2026? I mean, with the new developments, how confident are you today that they will get this done in time so the squirrels don't end up leaving? Well, um, I, I don't know if I'm the person to answer that, but um, it seems to be that there are some forward, uh, you know, progress being made. Um, in the course of my reporting, I've obviously talked with people on uh, different sides of this whole effort, um, and it's a multifaceted effort, obviously, with the, the ball club, the Flying Squirrels, as well as the city and, and the development team. And it sounds like, you know, there are certain things that still need to be uh, ironed out, but at the same time, there is progress being made in terms of the uh, design of the stadium. Apparently, the schools are taking a, a different approach to that with a new consultant on board and a new architecture firm. Um, but uh, apparently, everyone I'm talking to uh, uh, maintains that they're, you know, they, they have all the confidence to be able to pull this off in time for the 2026 ball season. I love to hear that because I, the flying squirrels just mean so much to this city. You know, I, I've been out and about since I've moved back to Richmond here uh, to plenty games, plenty of games, including the home openers always sold out, the playoff game. Uh, there's so much excitement for Nutsy's block party as everybody's kind of lining up to buy their tickets. So we know how much, you know, the diamond and the flying squirrels mean to this city, uh, but can the government get this done is, you know, kind of the big question here. So the question, that Jonathan, and then everybody asks me is, when are we going to drive by the Diamond, maybe stop by Raisin Canes and get something there? When are we going to actually see shovels in the dirt? Uh, that's the million-dollar question and uh, one we're continuing to try to answer in our, uh, in our coverage of this project. Um, all I can really say is that uh, it, it's been said that to build the new stadium would require at least 18 months, um, likely uh, some more. Than that, so uh, if they're uh, going to stick to their their uh, predictions that they're going to be able to pull this off by 2026 uh, ball season by the spring of 2026, then uh, at least 18 months prior to that would mean shovels in the ground by the end of this year. So um, that remains to be seen. Uh, but again, they are lining up a lot of the steps that need to be taken to get to that point. Um, there's a financing authority that needs to be established. That's apparently moving forward, and some other. Uh, conditions that need to be met before the land can be sold to the development team. And once the land is sold to the development team, that's when construction should be uh, getting going. I had heard that a target date for shovels in the dirt was April. Uh, based on the most recent developments, is that possible or does that seem out of reach with the timeline? Yeah, I, I can't answer that definitively. Um, and uh, I, I I, from, from what I'm understanding, there are still some variables that remain. So, yeah, it really matters. comes down to, you know, whether these, these conditions can all be uh, put together in a certain amount of time. And, um, you, know, but, you know, to be honest, uh, based on our coverage of this project up to this point, you know, it's been a slow process. It's taken a while. But at the same time, in recent uh, weeks, there's been uh, a few updates in terms of uh, city, you know, transferring land to the EDA to sell to the development team and pitching in a million dollars of funding as well for helping with the uh, flying squirrels uh, and, and helping with the design of the new stadium. So there, there, are, uh, there are steps being taken. Um, whether they're able to pull it off by April remains to be seen. Jonathan, can you explain the latest with VCU and their involvement in, in this deal? Um, well, yeah, we had uh, some reporting. My colleague Mike Platini actually had the story and an uh, interview uh, with uh, Ed McLaughlin uh, with uh, V2 Athletics. Um, apparently, they are also sticking to a spring timeline of starting uh, construction and development site work on their athletics village. And a, uh, a, a part of that um, seems to be, you know, in coordination, obviously, with the Diamond District. And the Diamond District uh, site involves the VCU-owned Sports Backers Stadium. Um, in order for the Diamond District uh, overall to be developed, um, that stadium, VCU-owned property, will need to be sold at some point. Uh, but VCU has said to us that uh, apparently the sale of that site has nothing to do with the Athletics Village getting going, and uh, so, uh, but there is no definitive timeline as to when that particular piece of land with the Sports Backers Stadium on it will be, uh, will be sold for the development. 
you know, you were you're speaking about some of the variables that are kind of in the way here. You know, how would you kind of explain it? You know, in, in the easiest terms uh, to somebody that that is listening right now that just wants to go and see the flying squirrels play, and they don't kind of understand all the hoopla and and all the craziness with all these variables. How would you kind of explain it in easy terms? Yeah, it, it, it's and if I'm and if I'm failing to do so, it's because it is challenging to uh, to explain. But there, there are several steps that need to be taken um, for the new stadium to be built. Now, you know, it, it must be pointed out that the Flying Squirrels, uh, uh, part of the reason why they're building this new stadium where they're going to build it, which is essentially directly south of the Diamond uh, where it stands now, is in order to allow the Flying Squirrels to continue to play baseball over that time um, so that there's no break in play. So um, as far as, you know, the average fan who wants to go see the Flying Squirrels, apparently that will continue to be able to be done um, while the construction is going on. But, um, yeah, basically, basically land just needs to be sold to the development team, and to do that there needs to be other things in place, including, uh, from what I understand, uh, a lease from the Flying Squirrels for the new stadium. Um, I'm told that that is in the uh, home stretch as far as getting approved and um, some other approvals like that that need to be in place in order for the development to start because the development depends on a particular type of financing with these bonds that are going to be issued. Um, the, there needs to be a particular financing authority that is established and uh, those types of things need to be in place in order for construction to get going. It, it is difficult to explain, but that's kind of the best I can, I can give you. No, no, that was great, man. I really appreciate it. You can read Jonathan's work online, richmondbizsense.com. We appreciate it, man, and let us know if there's any further developments. Will do. Thanks, Adam. Yep, you're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, Richmond's home for the Flying Squirrels. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Commander's new offensive coordinator, Cliff Kingsbury, is meeting the media right now and doing his introductory press conference. And so we'll be able to break that down on the final segment today. Look, I, I'm all in on the Kingsbury hire, so it's not like he's going to say anything that's going to change my mind. Uh, I'm, I'm interested if he's going to talk about his relationship with Caleb Williams, and really that's that's the rest of my goal for this offseason. It would be the dream offseason if the Commanders can draft Caleb Williams in the upcoming NFL Draft. But we're going to debut a new segment right now here on AWOD Radio. And to do that, I wanted to bring in a special guest. We've got our traffic reporter, Brian, here. What's going on, Brian? How are the roads looking? They're looking good. I was going to ask you how the roads looked in Vegas while you were there last oh, dude. I mean, it was the best trip of my life. I, I, I saw mean, that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I don't want to just make people jealous, but, like, everyone's walking around the office asking me about it. And, you know, I was talking to Kent today for about 15 minutes about how amazing the sphere was. Okay. I didn't know he is a diehard fan of you, too. So uh, he was gotcha. so jealous that I got to see Bono. Uh, you know, I was talking to Melissa about all the food that we ate. I had a rib cap for the first time in my life. It was Second best steak I've ever had. I still rib think the number cap. one was the filet at Voltaggio Brothers in okay. National Harbor. Wow. But the rib cap was so juicy, and it was so good. And then we also had a smoked old-fashioned at that meal. Who paid for all this? Uh, you? Bud Light. Bud Light, oh. big game week. Gotta big love game Bud Light. week, that's Gotta right. Gotta love Bud Light. Gotta love Bud Light. I mean, we were, we were, so we were, Michael, it was funny. We were buying Bud Lights for most of the trip. Okay. And then these Bud Light girls came up to us and said, hey, do you guys want a free Bud Light? And we're like, we're here because of Bud Light. Yes, we'll drink the Bud Light. <laughs> so we, we love Bud Light. Um, By the I, way, how do the, uh, as people walk, it's the strip, you can just walk, right? I mean, yeah, the whole thing? Most of it. Um, okay. You, like, you, there's parts of the strip that is not walkable. Uh, oh, I but I, I didn't spend much time you know, outside in the strip. I was mostly in the Luxor and then walking through the mall to Mandalay Bay, hanging out there, poker room, um, sports book, and then the convention center where the radio row was. Okay. Yeah. All right. A lot of good radio people from Odyssey there. I don't know about from Odyssey, but there were uh. some big names. Uh, the biggest <laughs> name at cool. Odyssey that was there was Grant Polson. Oh, like Grant okay. is a legit star. He is. Because, Absolutely. Because people forget that or at least I forget sometimes, that he's been doing a serious XM baseball show called Minors and Majors since he was 16. 
I've checked that out before. Do you know who Eric oh, Hosmer sure. is? Uh, I do. Right? Absolutely. Eric I think Hosmer. He made the World Series with Kansas City Royals. He was a world champion. Grant interviewed him first when he was like 17. Beat my Mets. Hosmer, Thanks for the reminder. Yeah, Hosmer was in <laughs> Vegas, and, and he just like goes up to Grant. You remember me? Right. It's just like Grant is such a star, and it's because he's been you know uh, the man in the industry here for the past 20 years. But you went on a road trip. I did. I went down to uh, Stubbs' old stomping grounds there in Blacksburg ah. on the Virginia Tech campus. Super Bowl Sunday uh, early edition of the Virginia Tech ladies against, who was it, Boston College on Sunday. It was a pretty good game. The uh, Hokies won, and they're back playing again tonight. Big game against Duke, I believe, also yeah. down at the Castle. Yeah, so you got Castle to see Guard. our girls, Georgia Amor and Elizabeth Kitley. They, they're... they're once-in-a-lifetime talents, I think, in Blacksburg. They're building something there. Hopefully they can sustain it. I think they can. Kenny Brooks seems like the coach that they've needed there for a long, long time. Ever since uh, Bonnie Hendrickson left back in the early 2000s when they were also very good. Yeah. So we'll I mean, see what happens. Liz is a generational-type player. There is no They're question so lucky she that yeah. she decided to come back for another year, her COVID season. Uh, you know, She has a chance to be ACC Player of the Year again. Oh, yeah. George Amor uh, just keeps improving as an outside, you know, outside shooter. Also, really, her leadership has been better this year. Less turnovers, more assists as they're trying to go back to the Final Four. But yeah, you're right. We're going to miss those two next year and in the future. Like this is this is the time to watch college hoops, women's college hoops, especially with Caitlin Clark That's being right. on national TV and with your local team support the Hokies. And I can finally watch college basketball now that the NFL's over. Yeah. You know, I don't start the college basketball watching until the NFL is over. There we go. And now everyone's three weeks left. This is a perfect season, like a three week season. <laughs> yep, and you gave us a perfect setup for our new segment here on AWOD Radio. Every day on AWOD Radio is game day. Home of the biggest sports fans in town and 910 The Fan. There's always something to watch. We will spotlight the best sporting event of the day here on... All right, so every day on game day, there's something to watch. We're going to spotlight the best sporting event of the day. And I'm fired up tonight for Bucks Grizzlies, 8 p.m. on TNT. We've been talking about it. This is the final game day of the first half of the NBA season. Players have an off all weekend for the NBA All-Star festivities from Indy. Rising Stars Challenge Friday, Dunkin' Three-Point Contest Saturday, All-Star Game Sunday. But tonight... We will get to see the new and improved Milwaukee Bucks, my first time watching them on national television since Doc Rivers was hired. They've since hired, uh, excuse me, traded for Patrick Beverly to shore up the defensive side of the ball. It's always fun to watch Giannis, MVP, the Greek freak. He's incredible. Damian Lillard in the backcourt makes them a legit contender in the East. So he's chasing his second title in four years. On the other side of the court tonight, the Memphis Grizzlies, who actually feature... Four former Atlantic 10 players. Oh, wow. Utah Watanabe was a star for George Washington. Okay. Jordan Goodwin played for St. Louis, played for a time with the Washington Wizards, now is on the Grizz. Jacob Gilliard was the point guard for Richmond when they won the A-10 Let's title. Let's spotters. And Vince Williams, the pride of VCU, who'll be competing in the NBA Rising Stars Challenge Friday. It's going to be awesome to watch. He's such a stud defender. He's been rising to the challenge of guarding the opposing team's best player every single night. On the offensive side of the ball, he's hitting shots. He's rebounding well. He's quietly having an impressive season with a lot of NBA action on a Grizzlies team that's losing games. But Vince Williams in the NBA is awesome, and all of Ram Nation should check it out tonight on TNT. That's okay. game day. Stub, what you got for us? Well, we already kind of previewed it. It's the Lady Hokies. I, I love me some Hokies. Obviously, I'm a tech grad. And they're on a seven-game win streak and are heading the ACC right now. Number one team in conference. And uh, uh, you didn't mention this, Brian. Last game, Kitley and Amor put up 50 of the 74 points from Tech. Woo! Liz Kelly ended the game with a couple of uh, knots on her forehead, literal knots, because <laughs> yeah. the refs refused to she show up. She was getting up. beat up. I think the refs were already in their pregame mode for the Super Bowl. That's what I think. They weren't even there. <laughs> so this is going to be a tough challenge for the Lady Hokies tonight. Uh, their last loss 
came against the Duke Blue Devils. That was, uh, was. on the road, yeah. though. This yeah. one's at home. And they it's are sold out. They are still four and a half point favorites, yeah. the Hokies. Uh, but it's going to take yeah. a good offensive performance. What's interesting is, you know, and I've been following the team closely this year, obviously, because we knew they were going to be good after the Final Four run last year. And so they're on this. What is it? Seven game win streak seven stub. Games. Seven game win streak stub. And before that, they lost two in a row. We talked about it on air. The game against Florida State that was on the road, and the refs completely screwed them at the end of that game. Right? <laughs> right. You had Elizabeth Kentley called for an offensive foul when she had the ball and she was pushed down. It made no sense. And so that game, they were terrible defensively. Well, they locked down on the defensive end their next game against Duke, but couldn't score the ball. Only had 46 points offensively. Mm. So if they're going to win tonight, look, it's a home game. The crowd's going to be into it. I think they need to get off to a good start. Uh, but they're going to have to score the ball against this Duke team. Yeah, And they're going to need a third score outside of Elizabeth Kitley and Georgia Amor. It's kind of been the theme of this season. Yeah, I mean, if those two can put up 50, though, <laughs> that's still something. But, yes, you can't rely on the same two people every single game of basketball. What's the yeah. tip time on that again? That is going to be 8 p.m. on the ACC Network. I have my popcorn ready. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll be watching that one, flipping back and forth with TNT to watch the Bucks, Grizzlies. And so, yeah, Hokies 11-2 and in conference play, 20-4 and overall. I mean, back-to-back 20-plus win seasons for the Lady Hokies. Just, you're right. Coach Brooks is building something special there in Blacksburg. I believe this is his eighth season in charge. We're going to look back on these as the good old days. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. These are the good old days. So they still have a one-game lead on Syracuse. Uh, NC State, a game and a half back at 9-3. and three. Duke, 8-4. and four. So this is a huge game here for standings in the conference when they get to the conference tournament in just a few weeks. I mean, can you feel it? March is almost here, Brian. Uh, hey, what I just say? I don't watch college basketball really until the Super Bowl is over. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's been going on for three and a half months. But yep. it's heating up, and I'm looking forward to my trip to Brooklyn covering VCU. Oh, that's in right. The A10 Come on. conference tournament. You said go Spiders. Did you see they get, them get stomped last night? I listened to a little of it. Yeah, <laughs> it was uh, it was troubling. But you know what? They've had a good season, and I really do like Chris Mooney. He has lived in Richmond as long as I have. He got here about a um, year or two after I moved to town. Yeah. So I've really followed the Richmond program a lot. And listen, I ran the VCU games with Robbie Robinson for many moons. <laughs> so I, it's like when they play each other, it's like, do I root for one team the first half and this other team the second? It's like I go back and forth, and they always have such great games. And when is the next Black and Gold Classic? It's coming up, right? Yeah, uh, I believe it's in, in two weeks. Yeah. Okay. No, and uh, my favorite thing about Chris Mooney is there's no excuses in press conferences with him. Like, I think back to the game this year when VCU beat Richmond, he sa- he took the blame. He said, I didn't play the bench enough. That's on me. Right. right, like I love a coach like that. Oh, sure, you know, that sticks up for his team. So that was game day here on AWOD Radio. If there are any good sporting events that we didn't get to that you're looking forward to watching tonight, eight three three eight zero four zero nine ten. That's eight three three eight zero four zero nine ten.